Listen to WGN Radio's newest podcast, Behind the Badge, Illinois, hosted by David Hochberg. Behind the Badge, Illinois, views current events through the eyes of Illinois law enforcement leaders. Tune in. Visit WGNRadio.com slash Behind the Badge. And hello, everybody, and welcome to Paul Lisnick Behind the Curtain. It's my chance to step away from the politics I talk about on television and enter the world of entertainment and art. And what a treat in this program, because you are about to meet truly, he's humble, but one of the legends of television, the man who created the classic show Laugh-In, which I grew up with. Uh, so many stars came from that. Let's get to the conversation. The author of Still Laughing, A Life in Comedy, George Schlatter. George, I love that you're still around and you're still doing lots of stuff. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I can't quit now. You know, it's funny. You open the book very early on. I have read the book and you, you open the book by talking about, do this throughout the book, before I take that dirt nap. And at the end, you keep referencing the, I, I know it's just sort of a sake of because you're, you know, you're, you're in your 90s, you're 93, but you're not a guy that's given up any kind of, you got a lot more to live. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And a lot more to do. And talking to you is a big part of it. Well, thank you. So is it is it just a matter of having fun with what you know is inevitable for all of us one day? That's it. Just keep moving and they can't catch up with you. I also <laughs> wanted to congratulate you, the George and Jolene uh, Brand Schlatter Theater. That, I know you were just there. I saw pictures that Jeff Abraham yeah. posted. You must be so proud of that. I heard they were going to, they had this community there that Lucille Ball created. And I fell in love with the idea of a theater and a whole community devoted entirely to comedians. And I didn't think that could exist anywhere but in Washington. <laughs> now, but in the, in your theater, I know there's a tribute to you, but then will there be other things happening in the theater space? Oh, yeah. It- See, what fascinated me about it, the reason I gave him a donation and became involved in it is because it was the only place I knew of ever devoted entirely to honoring and, and saluting the work of the comedians, because comedians are always used to open the show, but then they forget about it. That place uh, is all comics. you got to walk through it sometime. It's great. What I love about your book, which gives us your life, i, I got to be honest, at first you start reading it, it takes you a while to kind of figure out your your MO, what you're doing, because the stories just pop up. It's almost stream of conscious, but every story is great. Uh, you actually don't hit laughing until you know well past halfway into the book. But what a life until that point. I mean, you had you got mobsters, yeah, you, you, you got all sorts of things happening in those early days. Yeah, we try to go a little light on the mobster visit. I don't know <laughs> how that got into the book. I, I did know some colorful people in my early years. Well, and, you know, I've always and I've talked to colleagues of yours and old friends who, have, you know, had those same kinds of issues. But but that was real stuff. Right. I mean, you were you afraid of that world or you just had to play to them? No, I was I was very, very young and uh, I could do things because I was kind of uh, not uh, visible, you know, so I could just do things. And uh, but I knew a lot of those people when I worked in Vegas, when I worked at Zero's. But fortunately, they're all gone now. When I asked Jolene to marry me, she said she wouldn't marry me because. She said, I'd be dead before I was 30. And I said, no. She said, the guys you hang out with. I said, I don't have to hang out with them anymore. And so we got married and I, and I lost all of those people. It took me a couple of years to sever some of those relationships. So I'm guessing Frank Sinatra and you read the eulogy. You give us the eulogy in the book that you read at Sinatra's funeral. You know, there were rumors he was a little tied to those guys. Yeah, well, they were more tight with him. They they really loved the relationship with him. He didn't really need him, but... He was colorful. He was a piece of work, you know, and uh, uh, when when he 
his his wife asked me to do a eulogy at his funeral, which panicked me, you know, because yeah. that's not what I do. And uh, so when he said, okay, as long as I didn't have to follow Gregory Peck. Sure enough, Gregory Peck then me. And then I was introduced by a bishop. And so for some reason, I said, thank you, Your Honor. <laughs> and I had talked to a lot more judges than I'd talked to bishops, right? So that cracked it open and it made the whole funeral kind of uh, funny. Uh, and I love, and you give it all to us. Were you keeping notes throughout your career when you decided to write Still Laughing? Did you just, was it that time that you called upon all of these memories and stories? I'll tell you what happens. There's a woman who works for me, you know, Marta Bartabose. And so uh, she kept notes and then I kept just talking and talking. And what happened was I sat down and I just talked and talked and talked. She transcribed all of that and put it into the shape. And then uh, John Max, who's a very, very successful comedy writer, I said, John, just read through here and take out anything that'll get me in trouble. And uh, so he he selected which stories to tell. There was a lot more that didn't get told, which is just as well. So, so volume two is on its way. I don't know that. I don't know that I'm up for volume two. You know, it's easy for you. You know, you you've written more books than I've read, but. Uh, <laughs> And I'm, and I'm happy to send you one if you would like to read one. Of I would. Books. I really would. I really would. You know, and so I, I keep kidding about my book. I said, I, I just finished my first book and next year I'm going to read another one. I, but you've written a lot of books. You're a pretty classy fellow. I, well, you know, it's the bow tie. But but this is about you. Oh, maybe it is about me. No, I'm kidding. This is, this is about you. What I also love is all throughout the book, there's these chapters that pop up. The, the time you almost killed so-and-so, the time someone almost killed you. It's, it's all of these fantastic connections. I, 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 if we had hours, I want to, one day I want to have a drink with you and go through so many names, but, but let me just start with, with what Jerry Lewis. Can I just go right to Jerry Lewis? He comes up later in the book, but yes. I'm a huge Lewis fan. I collect a lot of things. I have Lewis's makeup kit from, uh, when, from his clown makeup. I have his teeth from Nutty Professor, his glasses. Really? Yeah. So a, few, a lot of his Clyde got his jackets, all sorts of stuff, but I always heard he was very difficult to work with and you do not, you do not uh, deny that premise. No, he was a handful. Jerry was a handful. He required high maintenance is what we called him, you know. But uh, uh, if you got through with that, uh, then you could break down that wall and he became manageable. But uh, he was always he always considered himself in charge of the act, Martin and Lewis, until one day uh, he said, here's what I want to do. And, and Dean said, I don't think so. And he went, what? And he said, well, I'm not in charge. We ought to split up. And so Dean said, okay. And that was the end of the act. That quick it happened. Wow. But, well, they were funny on stage, I'll tell you. Well, Dean Dean was funnier than anybody realized. You know, he was quick and funny and, and literate. He was wonderful. And Jerry, and Jerry, was, Jerry was a pretty nice guy when you got to know him, you know? And that magic, well, I ran into him once. He had his, his uh, daughter when she was little. And we were at the, the airport, the United Club. And I went up and I said, would Danielle like a praline? I just got in from New Orleans. And he goes, no, but her daddy would. Jerry he was, was awfully fast. He was awfully fast when they worked in the mountains, when they worked, you know, for all those guys. He was fast and he was funny, but he could also be a handful. The thing is, that, of course, that magic moment with Sinatra brings them together, which clearly was a surprise for Jerry. I don't think uh, he knew anything about that, right? On, on stage that time? Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, Jerry, Jerry, the best of Jerry was if you could surprise him, which was not easy to do. But that was the time I brought him out. He was on stage doing the telethon, and we brought Dean out, and it just shocked him. And Jerry's surprised was the best Jerry. You are very complimentary of Lewis overall. And by the way, the one thing nobody ever knew, and I, you know, it's why he did the muscular dystrophy telethon. You'd, his love for kids, his love for all of that. But everybody always thought there was something more secretive behind it. 
Was there? No, Jerry, it was his passion. And uh, uh, of course, Dean did more benefits than anybody I ever knew. But Jerry, it was his passion. He loved kids and he was committed to that telethon. And uh, it was very effective and they raised an awful lot of money. That's true. And firing him was one of the dumbest things that that MDA could have ever done, to be honest with you. Yeah, um, well. You you had some surprises uh, or that that is you talk about surprises of Jerry. But again, as a legend, I wanted to surprise you a little bit because you've started more careers than I can name. So there's somebody who wants to say hello to you. Um, and I'm going to go ahead and let her say hi. Hello, mystery guest. OK, mystery guest. Oh, what's such a big mystery about? Oh, but I hear the voice I know immediately. <laughs> I to be oh. there with you so badly, George. I know. You sure know how to sneak into a room. <laughs> <laughs> Lily Tomlin, for those who uh, who Thank didn't George. catch that. She is a delight. She's one of, the, one of the bright surprises in my whole career. Just Lily Tomlin wandering into my life made everything beautiful. And, and Lily, you wrote the foreword for George's book. You're probably the first person he went to for it, but... He has, I mean, your career, unbelievable, unparalleled. How much credit do you give George to that incredible career? I give him. I more give than him. I deserve. He's my, no, he's my, he's my roots. Well, he's my roots. 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 Root, root. I think it depends where you're from. <laughs> well, he's, he's my grounding. Oh. He's my pal. Oh, no. He's my George. I love that, her. I saw I saw a tape of Lily doing a barefoot tap dance. So I set up a meeting with Lily, and she came in, sat down, and in front of my eyes, sat in that meeting and became all these different people. And I just was in love with her, and I still am. She's one of the most brilliant performers, most of the intelligent performers in the whole world, and I love her. And, and Lily, and I've seen you on Broadway. I Yes, I'm one of your huge fans as well, and I know our focus here is on George, um, but I just want to tell you how much I think you are amazing uh, in, in every possible way. And, oh, thank you, Paul. And, and but what I, I do want to ask one thing because you're look, you're not just this comedian back in the in the in the days of laughing. Your career drama, I mean, a real scope. What kind of things did you learn from George that that propelled you through a career that became so broad in terms of your own skills and abilities? If that question makes sense. <laughs> That's a tough yeah. Oh God, I don't. I I I learned to um, just uh, just be okay. Just let it go and see, be who you are and say. And I don't know. I, I it's just being around him. He's the first person. He I listen. I in those days I was doing a lot of auditions. And I, they usually end up in tears because they 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 make the like they make the phone ring on their desk, you know, like they oh. they give the high sign to their secretary, and they then they say, "I've got to take this," and they <laughs> and I'd have be and the secretary comes and and kind of pushes me out into the street, and I would just be heartsick and and rejected, and and I'd be in the phone booth and I'd be sobbing. <laughs> well, now, Lily, Lily. John, and I didn't want not, to go see him. I wanted to go back to New York. You were not too sure you wanted to meet with me because you weren't too sure I was up to your standards politically. <laughs> right? This is what he always razzes me with, Paul. All right. Is What's he it? right? I mean, he asked your question. No, he's not right. <laughs> he's kind of right. Did you? Right. One of the brightest people in the whole world is Lily Tomlin. I mean, she yeah. just. She knows she absorbs information and 
comes back as different people. She's marvelous. I love well, her. Well, and, and and I reached out through our mutual friend, Harlan Bowl and whatever, and, and Lily, as far as I know, did not hesitate to say, I will absolutely join you for a little bit. So I, I can't thank you enough. I do want to, you know, in the book, Lily, I know you you catch all these little things, these things that I never caught when when Laffin was on, like your one ringy dingy and stuff that you used your forefinger and George recommended you change it to your middle finger. Did you know he was kind of? Oh, yes, absolutely. And he also, George also also gave me uh, the, uh, I had, I had the raspberry. I, I found a little girl on the road. I was out with Dan and Dick uh, and I was trying to get, to get George and and the writers to accept Edith Ann, the five-year-old. Yeah. And I'll, they just didn't like her. They said, oh, her face is, she's got chocolate on her face and she's <laughs> bratty and all that stuff. And so I just was, but I, my heart was aching to get this kid on TV. And so um, the the main thing was I, George, I had, I met a little girl in, in the lobby of the, of the Del Webb hotel where we were staying at one point and she had, and she had uh, a little speech impediment which a lot of young kids do because their tongue is too big for their mouth. And later they control it, but they can't control it at that point. And she would say, like, my snake takes a bath. (laughs) I have to go visit my Aunt Ruth. And so I came back with that for the thing, and George said, and that's the truth. He made it up on the spot. And that became her her watchword. Whose idea was the large rocking chair? Well, that was my idea to make me look small. Okay. She and he didn't give me that either. They didn't give me that until she was like a hit. I oh, did sure. it out of an old cardboard box. Like, you know, Budgets. Yeah. <laughs> Lily, Lily was always a surprise because you never really grasped the truth of what she was talking about. She said, I need a rocking chair. So I said, okay. She said, no, a bigger chair. So I got a bit. <laughs> She says, I mean, I really big chair. So we then finally had to build this gigantic rocking chair, which kind of dwarfed Edith Ann. So when she sat in that rocking chair, she became a whole different person. It was not a performance. It was she became that person, which I just loved her. And when you talk to when you talk to Lily and she's in character, she doesn't talk like Lily. She talks like that character. And that's the truth. That, and the sign of a, the sign of a true professional. And uh, and by the way, I think, Lily, we need a new version of signs of intelligent life these days. I'm sure you would agree in, with the oh, way life I is. Know, I know. I tell that to my partner, Jane. I say, Yes. And give Jane my love as well. Thank you. I say, uh, I say, by the way, I have one little surprise and I'll just and Lily, we're going we're gonna to let you go. But I but I, you might want to react to this. This person is not joining us, um, but sent me this note. And I don't swear on the podcast, and there's a reference here, and I don't know what it means. So I'm going to just we will it doesn't mean any- sure. Wait, here's here's what it says, and you can decide what it what it means. Dear George, or CFG, if you prefer, that's the part that's yes, 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 I got okay. it. Just a quick note to say thank you for all the good you brought into my life. Before laughing, my name was below the title. After laughing, it is above the title. Thank you again, George. Lots of love. And that is from dear Joanne Worley. Oh, Oh, bless Joanne. Am I right, George, that I don't want to know what CFG stands for? You can figure it out, can't you? I think I did. That's the thing. George, select your own F word in the middle of that. (laughs) Joanne was an event, too, you know. Lily, one more one more question for you. It sounds like George was open, not just you, but but Goldie and Artie. And Artie was actually a distant relative of a of a friend of mine and stuff. So there's some connection there. But anyway, 
uh, it sounds like he was open when you had ideas. You weren't afraid to go to him. Oh, no. No, but no, gosh, no. Demanded it. I mean, but they were, with Lily was a thing where she'd come and she said, I have this idea. And she became a whole different person. And in front of your eyes, there's this wonderful, beautiful lady becoming a child or becoming a very proper lady. And it was amazing to watch her in front of your eyes become different people. And uh, a major, got- major part of my career. Thank you, George, sweetheart. Well, thank uh, you, Lily. Thank, oh, thank I you. Did, I did get better later. <laughs> you were better from day. I'm sorry. I loved you from day. I was there from day one, and I loved you from day one. So, just okay. as somebody who just so admires you and Jane and the work you guys have done together throughout these years, I just can't thank you enough for for surprising George with me here for a little bit. Yeah, well, that's great. I mean, anytime I can be with Lily Tomlin, it's a thrill and a, a wonderful experience. Lily, I love you, babe. I think Frank Sinatra's on the wall back there. He heard you. <laughs> I love Pally. you, George. He I love say, you. He didn't say Pally. <laughs> oh. George, George, uh, George, I owe everything to George. Oh. Yeah, well, it's mutual, I'll tell you, because I'd still be living in the Valley if it hadn't been for Lily. Well, you're... <laughs> <laughs> now, now he tells me. Now, now we get Lily of the Valley. Is that where you're going with this? Yeah, but you got to understand what would happen. We'd, we'd have a meeting and so forth. And in front of your eyes, this beautiful woman became a child and became a different person. And, and then she, when you talk to Lily as one of those characters, you didn't talk to her as Lily. You talked to her as that character. And I loved having conversations with uh, Mrs. Earbore. She had a very proper character that yeah. she was doing. Lily, Lily was a special part of my life. And I well, she, and the fact that even these days, Lily, and I'm a member of SAG after, of course, but I'm on the news end. So we're exempted from the strike. But I see you on the lines uh, and I, I, I wear a proud button myself. Uh, anyway, you're always a part of the of, of the community, even though you are so beyond in terms of your accomplishment. You never forget those who are still struggling, still working, still trying to pay their bills, still trying to get health insurance. And I know you appreciate and do work for them as well. And you're beautiful for that. Lily's done more yeah, charity. Than any of that credit, Paul. Thank you so much. And George, I'm going to say goodbye to you, and I love you. I love you more. No, I thank, love you. I love thank you, you Lily, and our love to Jane. Thank you. Bye bye. Thank you. Bye bye. All right. So now that was great. All right. So I talk to Lily. It's a thrill. I and listen. I wanted to, I I thought it would be great to have her surprise you, and she she absolutely said yes. But I have so much more I need to talk to you about in the time that we have. Okay. So. I do want, I know everybody wants to hear about laughing and we'll talk about it. There's just so much more in this book. I'm just bringing up a couple of my favorites and I got to talk about Judy Garland because your work with her, um, and, and you had to explain to her that you're just not a difficult person and she wasn't a difficult person. And I'm guessing maybe everybody was difficult. Explain that relationship. I said to her, I said, there's no truth to the rumor that I'm a difficult person. Right. uh, So she said, you're difficult. I said, see, even you've heard it. I didn't know what to do when I met Judy Garland. I wanted to do the show. And then and here she was, this tiny little person with this dynamic. And uh, so that's what I said. There's no truth to the rumor that I'm difficult. And from there on, we had a wonderful relationship. If, again, it was the secret was if you could make her laugh, you could uh, get anything. But you had you had to be very careful and you had to make her laugh. And well, you did. You had the whole issue of the trailer or the size of trailer. You could make things happen for these stars that that I don't even know how you did it. Yeah, well, I do. I guess it was just you just basically what no was not in your vocabulary, right? You that's it. That's, you can no, no is not an answer. No is a comma. <laughs> and by the way, 
I left Jerry Lewis, but I, I you cleared something up that I think was very What's important. That? He's always quoted as having said in a line that there's no such thing. I'm misquoting here, but there's no such thing as funny female comedians that essentially people always felt he thought all funny uh, comedians were, were male. And you clarify in the book that is just not what he meant. No, and that's not what I don't really believe Jerry said that because he was brighter than that. There are funny. You want to talk about funny ladies? I mean, Goldie Hawn and Lily and Joanne Worley and Judy Carn. All those were just the women on laughing. But in the uh, women, women, women for a long time got the punchline. And uh, uh, they were they were they were a major part of my success, certainly, you know, with Dinah Shore and Judy Garland and Lily and all of those. Uh, and share shares another one. Oh, support. yeah. That's yeah. You've got lots of share stories in there. And with Sunny. I mean, this is this was I mean, I sort of grew up with all this is this is I, I, I was like just eating up every page of this book with these stories. Uh, you talk about Robin Williams. I do have one. You know, my mind went to different things. If Robin Williams had had been more known to you in the late 60s uh, or 67 when Laffin started, would he have been good for Laffin? Oh, yeah. Well, Robin, I saw Robin on the street in San Francisco. And he was in cover of overalls, barefoot with a straw hat, and he had a fishing pole, and he had, hung it out over the audience. He said he was fishing for assholes. And so, but Robin, <laughs> and I was amazed. I was amazed because he was probably one of the most well-educated performers I'd ever worked with. And when he was through with his junior year at Juilliard, the professor told him they didn't want him to come back. And he says, what, why did he do wrong? And what did I do wrong about? They didn't do anything wrong. It was just that they thought they could not teach him anything more. Robin was a thrill and a major, major part of my life that I was proud of. And uh, he should have lived longer. You, oh, absolutely. You also, you taught me some philosophy, a lot of things in the book, but one of the things you have some Groucho stories. I'm a huge Groucho Marx a fan as well. And basically you learned, or at least the lesson I took from your relationship with Groucho, learn to say yes and then just get out of it later. I'm, <laughs> I'm talking yeah, about say yes. that. I built a career on saying yes to everything and then fixing it later, you know, but Groucho, Groucho, you know, he was so fast and so quick, you know, and uh, he, he was, he was another one that was a thrill to be with. Those people are all bent, you know, they're not normal human beings. And uh, you have to, the only thing you have to do with Groucho, with Jerry Lewis or with Robin is to learn to listen because they, they are so much brighter than we are. See, humor, humor is a common denominator. And uh, uh, Robert Williams is one of the smartest, most well-educated people I ever met. It, I mean, today, I guess SNL is the closest thing maybe we have to laugh in. Would laugh in, could laugh in be brought back today in a more modernized way and work today as the public? Yeah, Rob, well, uh, uh, SNL, uh, Lauren Michaels was the writer, came down from Canada and he yeah. came in to laugh in. Uh, um, SNL, is a, is a wonderful experience. I'm glad it worked and so forth, but it bothers me that it hasn't changed that much. It should be more updated, but Laugh-In was an adventure and we came in. NBC had nothing to put on opposite of Eight is Enough and, and, uh, and so you put, they, they had no show to put on in there. So I said, well, I'll give you a show. So I rounded up all of these young character people. They were not stand up comics, but they were, they were young character people and they came in. And did these characters and we would sit in that studio till 10, 11, 12, one o'clock in the morning. And they would just come in and ad lib these characters. And then we put them into the show. The editing techniques developed by a woman by the name of Carolyn Raskin, a changed television because you couldn't edit tape that well. Right. Yeah. The 
putting those bits that close together. Network didn't want to air it. The network said, this doesn't make sense. I said, well, you laugh. They said, we have ran it for kids, and they're brighter than you are. And they said, but it doesn't make sense. I said, right. <laughs> and, uh, so then that's, that's uh, we ran it for them. They didn't want to air it. They said, this is not a television show. They aired two shows by mistake, and then the audience caught on to it. And from there, you know, from there, I became very difficult. Right. <laughs> well, and today we take for granted the the people and I, you know, the 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 stars, the legends who came out of the show, from Goldie Hawn to Artie uh, Artie Johnson to Henry Gibson to you know, you can go on and on. But your stories in the book make it clear because these were not huge stars when I mean, some were in the business and were kind of successful, but you saw something in them that you went, "That's who I'm going to hire." You made them all, including Lily, who they are, but you also had to think ensemble, right? Because they had to play well with each other. Well, not necessarily accident. You must rely, you must look for an accident and then enjoy it. I mean, Alan Seuss called me and he said he was in a phone booth and it was filling with water. And uh, I said, Alan, and he came out and he, you know, Alan was a bit bent. I mean, he was a little bit, you know, gay and, uh, he did outrageous things. And, uh, uh, and it worked because we would come in for a reading, the whole cast. And you can imagine that cast in one room with the script, right? knowing that anything they wanted to ad lib and add was perfect. But Alan Seuss was an accident. He walked in that room, and I would come in, and I was kind of pushy and kind of demanding. And I'd say, all right, now, come on, let's focus. All right, let's get this thing together. And Alan Seuss would say, well, aren't we a little turned down mouth today? He go, are we regular? That's Alan, and stop it. Okay, all right, Cass, nobody pout now. Alan, stop it. But Alan, stop it became kind of a catchphrase because – he was outrageous. What you've got to do is find that square peg and put it in a round hole. That's what we did with my whole cast. Henry yeah. Gibson, Henry Gibson came into my office, did a poem and a backflip. And he was a gentle, quiet. Artie Johnson was selling suits at Carol's. Yeah. And he came in and it became all of these different characters. I think the one thing, if I could give any, any advice to other people is to, is to look for the accident, enjoy the mistake, enjoy the accident. And, and and build on it because from accidents come a lot of wonderful things, you know. And some of the stories that in the book, the, I didn't know this, and I I I think it aired. If it aired, then I, I missed it. But I read it in your book. Was having Bob Hope, who of course Bob Hope being Bob Hope, but you have the bit where Artie Johnson <laughs> walks on to Bob Hope, right? I mean, you can go ahead and tell the story. Did that did that air that particular? Clip? Yeah, Bob Bob Hope came in to do. See, I couldn't get guest stars. We didn't have money to buy guest stars, so I would stop people in the hall. And I would get Bob Hope, and I, John Wayne said, I'm not going to do that show. We'd put that on the air. So Bob Hope came in to do liners to uh, sell his special. And while he was out there, Artie Johnson came in. This was before the show aired. So he didn't know who the hell this little guy was that came out. And he said, every Christmas, we waited for you in the bunker. And Hope, <laughs> this little guy, not dressed as a Nazi, right? And Hope turned into the Bob Hope that we we hoped for. It became just one line after another, and Artie Johnson could keep up with him. That encounter before the show was on the air became classic. And uh, you see, we must seek and enjoy our mistakes and even our failures. I had a lot of disasters in my life, you know, and each one of them turned into something funny. Well, yeah, there were a couple of shows that might be in there. But but by the way, speaking of the Artie Johnson bit, did you ever get any feedback from Mel? That is such a Mel Brooks thing to, to, to do. Did you ever hear from Mel Brooks about that bit or at all? No, no, no. But everybody, everybody, Artie was just adorable. You know, yeah. and he married, he's married to a very tall lady, Gisela. And it was little Artie and Gisela. And uh, 
And she's still around. I know she's still around. We lost Artie. I loved her. Not everybody we brought into the show worked, but that group of people was just so special. And uh, uh, we would tape till 11, 12, 12, 1 o'clock in the morning. And they would come out and they would make up things, you know, and the joke wall, which was that wall that opened up, you know, with windows. Yeah. They didn't, they, that was a piece of fabric. And I said, can the fabric be made to open up? And so we built that joke wall. And behind that joke wall is where the cast would have outrageous things happen and say and pop in and out. And we would tape for an hour and then just use what we could put on the air. And you, you also have, you have pictures. I mean, there's lots of photos in this book because you have pictures from behind the wall and it's That's fascinating good. stuff. I know, I wanted to ask you a question that maybe you're not asked all the time. And I have a feeling the number one question you're always asked, because there's probably no more famous bit from laughing than Richard Nixon appearing and saying, suck it to me. And rather than asking you how you got Nixon, to be honest, I think I want to ask, why did you want Nixon? Well, we were going to do the first show of the second season and laughing has started to happen. But how do you top what it was after that first season? And uh, so Paul Keyes, who was a close friend of Richard Nixon, and Paul Keyes was terribly right wing, and I wasn't. And uh, so Paul Keyes said, well, uh, maybe I can get Nixon. I said, great, get him from me, too, because I was not a fan. So I said, get him from me, too. So we went over to CBS. He was taping a promotional, a political promo. And Paul said, could you just say sock it to me? And he said, sock it to me. <laughs> no, just smile. Sock it to me. And so we, did. so we took that tape, ran back to NBC and put it in the next show. And Nixon said that maybe was what elected him. And I've had to live with that. Well, not only not only that, but you, at least in the book, you go on to say you did everything you could, because this is the 68 election, reaching out to Hubert Humphrey to give him a shot to also appear. He said it may have been what elected Nixon, because Nixon Nixon was, you know, it was just a, nothing. He was a stick, but he had no humor at all. And that depicted him as a uh, as a regular person. Humphrey said it may have been what elected him, and I've had to live with that. But uh, uh, see, but all the political, see, the politicians, uh, we we elect these people, and we expect them to be something that they're not. And uh, most of them have no humor. But now, since Laugh-In and all of that, the politicians all open with about three minutes of jokes. And uh, we, I did jokes, and then we elected some of them, you know. And Bill Clinton seemed to learn from that. Barry Goldwater was not a was not a lot of laughs either. You know, <laughs> I bet you Hoover, Her- Herbert Hoover was a riot. And well, oh yeah, and then and then Ronald Reagan. Ronald Reagan was great. When I was before I was uh, whatever I became, I was working at MCA, and Lou Wasserman called me. He said, "I want you to book Ronald Reagan into Vegas." I said, "Mr. Wasserman, he doesn't do anything." And Lou Wasserman who was the giant. He was the ran the business. Said, "That's not my problem." So I said, "Okay." So we booked Ronald Reagan. We put him in an act called the Five Guys and Ronald Reagan. And uh, it was terrible. It was awful. <laughs> and so I remembered that Ronald Reagan had done a movie with a chimp called Bedtime right. Bonzo. Bedtime for Bonzo. So, so there was an act that had five chimps. So I hired that act to open for Ronald Reagan. And it was pandemonium. I mean, when you've got five gorillas in a nightclub with Ronald Reagan, who was not very funny, uh, that that turned into a happening in the, Accidents. See, we've got to look at our accidents and cherish them because yeah. that's how we become whatever we become. Focus. See, but I'm back to I'm back to your lesson of just say yes and then fix it later because those chimps wanted. I think it was 13 minutes of performance time, and you only had six. Was that were those the chimps? Yeah, the chimps had in their contract 30 minutes. Yeah, and you <laughs> had like eight. So I had them do the first uh, half of their act in the hallway, right. and then open the door, and they'd go out on stage. 
which was all right. But the, the fifth night, everything was going on. The chimps were not used to working to a wall. And so about the fifth night, they said, hold the show. Well, I had started the show, and these gorillas were now used to working to a wall. <laughs> so, but I had nothing to say. I opened the door, and it pandemonium happened. And Ronald Reagan is trying to get on stage. These gorillas are all over in the, the <laughs> tables. They were drinking a bottle of vodka. And, uh, do everything. and it was just absolute pandemonium. And Nancy Reagan and I became friendly, but Ronald Reagan never forgave me for the gorillas. Oh, really? Well, it was funny. Oh, it was funny. Ah. Ronald Reagan was I thought the story. Me. I thought the story was great, and how you came up with fixing it. Your contract didn't say where they're going to perform. <laughs> Absolutely. See, accident. We 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 should cherish our accidents. It's you know? brilliant. I mean, that, uh, rather By than way, a- one laugh-in name we didn't say, and we should because she's still around and she's still just a classic classic performer. Ruth Buzzy. I mean, also uh, phenomenal. Well, Ruth Buzzy came in, and she was all these different people. And she went into the the Xerox room. We had a little tiny electric piano. And she played her own composition of Don't Futz Around. Well, of course, I love that. And then Ruth came in as all these different people. And uh, she was brilliant. And you'd send Ruth Buzzy out. And any time you sent her out on stage, you knew she was going to score. See, all of those people, when Lily went on stage, or when Goldie, or when Joanne, or when Goldie, when they went out on stage, they were... Uh, um, funny by nature, and they made it happen. So we must we must we must cherish our accidents. I and read, rather than elect them, but we must cherish our accident because accident is partially responsible for any career. Mine certainly. Without yeah, accident, also, I'd still be living in a valley. You make it clear too. Goldie, who played a ditz in the show, was the smartest of all the cast members, and we see that today in her career. She's brilliant. But what happened was with Goldie. She said, well, I'm not the comic. I'm a dancer. I said, well, this will be fine. So we gave her an introduction of Dan Rowland. And she and there was all kinds of confusion. You have to understand what was going on on stage. There was sound effects and people and chimps and whatever. Going on. And <laughs> Goldie was supposed to read this introduction of Dan Rowland. And she screwed it up. And it was wonderful. And uh, so uh, we said, we'll do it again, Goldie. And from then on, we never let Goldie rehearse anything. So she'd start to do an introduction of Dan, Dan, Ryan, Dan Rowland. And we would do anything to break her up. The brightest woman in show business is Goldie Hawn, but yeah. we couldn't make her laugh. And if we interrupted her and made her laugh, then that was gold. So, For people who are watching this, George, who, who are wanting to be abutting you and you in their life and all that kind of thing, um, well, you know, you're not, 93 years young, but do, what, what you've given some advice and you've been saying it here, the accidents and say yes and fix it later. But does it take a special kind of still, there's something you had that made you successful that some people just don't have, even if they want to be you. Um, well, my mother was funny and mm-hmm. uh, I had something I had that uh, I had polio that helped. Oh, uh, my parents both had polio. I'm sorry. To, yeah. yeah. That wasn't wonderful. No. But, uh, um, look at accident as a temporary setback. And, and cherish it because out of an accident, many things can happen. And, uh, uh I enjoyed the, you know, a laughter is the best feeling you can have when, when a baby's born, the brightest children are the ones that laugh as babies. And, uh, so uh, laugh is the best, well, second best feeling you can have. We won't go into the first that. <laughs> See, you, know, you laugh. You, you just laugh then. Made because you- I know, I know what I knew. CFG, I know what's going on. Well, CFG was its own story, you know, because <laughs> NBC was always concerned with what that F stood for. I love it. Well, George, so much to ask you, so much to talk about. I can't thank you enough. But I enjoyed the chat because 
you know, you, you, people understand who you are, what you've done. And as I said before we did this thing, I said, you, you've written more books than I've read. So I enjoyed this interview because intellectually you're, you're way beyond me. But well, I, I don't think so. I wish I had the talent you had, but I'm going to send you one of those books uh, to give you some, some the joy that you've given me and yours. And um, I, oh, oh I hold it up. See, we have in front of this green book. screen, so it, this is there the, it is. The book. That's it. I enjoyed that book, and and we what we what's not in the book, what's not in the book is good too, because uh, uh, my wife said she didn't want to read about some of my earlier adventures. Uh, so now that I think the book is still laughing, a life in comedy by George Schlatter, available everywhere. George, we're going to get cut off by the system automatically. It's not me hanging up on you. I love you. you. I thank you. I enjoyed it. God bless you. And I want to talk to you when you've been around 186 years. I'll be. I'll I'll wait for it. All right. God bless. Thank you, my friend. Thank you.